Today we are beginning a short topical series entitled The God Who. It's actually a series we taught through last year, and uh, we decided to give this a second round. Um, in this series, we take a look at the character and attributes of God and how he interacts with his people and his creation. Really, the goal of this series is to get to know God better. The title for today's message is The God Who Creates. And if you're interested in listening back to the messages from last year, you can go to the Grace Life website, uh, gracelifeavon.com slash sermons, and look for the series, The God Who. And I think there were four or five messages in that series um, that Mike and I preached through last year, and you can check those out. Um, We will have a couple of additional guest speakers in this series, both of whom receive support as missionaries Uh, from Grace Life. Preston Shaw will be with us next Sunday, and then James Harrington will be with us the following Sunday. So uh, I encourage you to uh, come be a part of that, listen to these guys and hear what they're doing, Um, and that's something I'm looking forward to as well. It's been a while since we've seen Preston, so that's exciting to have him back. So yeah, so to do this this morning, we're going to look at the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, And I want to see from this how God relates to us, how he reveals himself to us in the activity of creation. But this message is not specifically or simply on the creation itself. And uh, though we are going to go through the creation account, we're not going to get bogged down in things like young earth versus old earth or that kind of thing. Because what I want to highlight today is the God who creates not specifically the creation, though, of course, you can't really talk about the God who creates without talking about what he creates. Uh, But that's not necessarily the focus. The opening of Genesis, of course, is the account of creation. And you might expect the first words on the page to be somewhat of an introduction to the God whom the Bible really is about. Um, But yet, it doesn't really begin with the typical type of introduction that you would expect. But when we trace the story of the scriptures, we see who God is as he reveals more of himself over the course of thousands of years. And oftentimes, um, really, we don't get the fullest picture of him until we get to the New Testament. And there's still so much more. You know, we have a fuller understanding of God, but the fullest, um, we, we still will always lack the ability to comprehend. But I believe as we understand God better, as we get to know him more, we begin to see the foundations for the gospel. We begin to see uh, the reason behind, the why behind the gospel. It's the foundation for it all, creation, revelation, and salvation. The foundation for all of that is the triune God. And so today we'll look at two aspects of the God who creates First, God creates, and second, God recreates. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a creating God, that you're a creative God. We thank you that as your people, as your creation, uh, you have revealed yourself to us. And I ask that over the course of this message, you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we would see more of you today, that we would comprehend you more, that we would know the depths of you a bit more, and that our response to that would be joy, 
that it would be love, and that it would be a desire for more fellowship with you and with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the God who creates, we're going to begin with God creates, and we're going to begin by reading a lengthier portion of Scripture than we normally do. We're going to read Genesis 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3. So, strap in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. That's the creation account. So as we begin, what are some things that we see from the text here? First, in the account of creation, what is told to us is these simple words, five words. In the beginning... God created. So the stage for the great drama of creation is set by stating that before all of this exists, that is around us, all the things that we see around us, before that all came to be, there was God. And it's he who created. I've often said that the Bible is the story of redemption, and it it is. I would like to extend that out a bit to say it this way. You don't have the story of redemption without the God of redemption. It's the story of God. His redemption plan. And the ones. His people. That he redeems. And at the heart of the gospel is the God. Who has eternally existed. Before the beginning. And he will accomplish all that he plans. So it is his plan not just to create, but to redeem for himself a people. We also see in these first few words, these first five words, the authority and rulership of God. If he existed before everything else, and he caused everything that is to be, then he is the rightful authority over it all. He created it, so he gets the credit for it. And by default, he gets to set what is right, what is good, and what is true. And we saw in 1 John uh, that ultimately he is true. We saw that uh, time and time again uh, throughout that book that we just studied. He is true. And he is right and he is good. Creation establishes God's ownership of all things in heaven and earth. Because... All things are his. There is no limitation to his controlling power. God is sovereign. Sovereignty is God's right and power to do all that he decides to do. And so what is prominent in creation, in the creation account, is not so much what is created, but the one who creates it. This phrase, God said, that we saw um, over and over through these verses as we read them, occurs ten times in this chapter. We also see that God created, God made, God saw, God separated, God called, God set, God blessed, God finished, and finally, God rested. And all this speaks to us who God is through his activity in creation. All these actions that he is doing speaks to us of who he is. 
He creates the heavens and the earth, the light and the darkness, the sky, the waters and the land. He creates the vegetation, the celestial bodies, sea creatures and birds, and yes, creeping things. He creates the living creatures, the beasts of the earth. And lastly, he creates man and then woman. He creates a perfect world with order. There's another phrase that keeps popping up here, according to its kind. We see that God in his creation is orderly. There is a plan to it. There is a structure to it. There is a rule that is going on, and he is ruling over it. We see this in the separation of light and darkness, day and night, the sky and the sea and the land. He creates a world ready to be ruled and subdued by mankind. Continuing on in verse 2, we see the phrase, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And our minds may think of this as chaos, as we see words like without form, void, uh, darkness, the deep. But that's not the case. God is in absolute control over the world. And just as a lump of clay is without form in the beginning, it begins to take shape as the potter moves the clay into the image of what he has in mind. And so these words are not necessarily negative in that sense. It's just showing that God has something in mind as he forms this world into what he has planned. So we see in this that, um, in, in all of this that we've looked at, that creation begins to reflect God's goodness. He creates with his ultimate creation, mankind, in mind. Every act of seemingly insignificant creation is to create a world suitable. For his prize, his people, the larger things as well, the celestial bodies, the stars and the planets and um, our own solar system, the sun, um, all to maintain God's order and to give light. The light causes the plants to grow and produce for the beasts and all of his creation that is living to eat. And in creating all of this, he shows his fatherly care even down to the itty-bitty spiders. And so in it, we also see creative diversity. And uh, we've got some photos to show you to talk about God's creative diversity. God is creator, but he is a creative creator. He doesn't paint only in monotone. He creates in colorful vibrancy. There's a beauty to it. Even that. (laughs) And that is a banana spider, of which we have plenty in Louisiana. Now, I don't know if that's the type that fell on my head. It was too dark to see. Um, But it is a big spider. It can get upwards of the size of your hand. Um, One time, walked out. We had a carport where cars were parked, and there was one that spun a web on the license plate on the back license plate of our vehicle. And so we burned it to the ground. And uh, I actually don't even remember what we did. I I think after screaming and and passing out, when I finally came to, you know, we must have done something, but I don't really remember. 
But God delights in what he creates. I mean, you see that in the beauty of what he's created. I was driving um, from my home, Geneseo, to Avon uh, this week. And I was, I don't know roads, but I was driving like Geneseo Avon Road, the, the one that goes from Geneseo to Avon, um, Geneseo's Main Street area. Um, and I was just looking over the valley, and I'm just like, man, this is like so spectacular and beautiful. And yes, it was even a little bit rainy at the time, but it was just gorgeous. And I'm grateful to live in a place that is so beautiful, because what we see is the beauty of God's handiwork. We see the beauty of his fingers, his hands that created all of this. He is creative. And maybe that seems a bit redundant to say he's a creative creator, but I've created things and they're not very creative. What we see in the creation of animals and mankind is the vitality of life. He graciously wills his creatures to live in enjoyment of his rich abundance, to reproduce and to multiply. And the pinnacle of this creation is humanity. We will touch on this more in a moment. This God that creates is wise, authoritative, life-giving, life-sustaining, and he is good. More than that, as we have seen through First John, again, we just went through this series, he is love. Though not specifically mentioned here in this passage, what we see revealed throughout the story of the Bible is that this God who creates does so because he is love. As he reveals more of himself, we continue to get glimpses of this love. And so here the glimpse is implied. And later, especially when we get to the new covenant, it's made explicit. The God who creates does so because he is love. He does not need love. Like he does not need reciprocation. He doesn't need the response of love. He does not create because he needs us. In order for himself to exist, he does so because he, as the triune God, has eternally existed in community and is love. And in all of this, we get a glimpse of the triune God. In preparation for this topic, I've been reading the book, Delighting in the Trinity. And I know the D group went through that book a few years back um, by Michael Reeves. It's an excellent book, and I would suggest you find a copy and read through it. Um, When I read through books, I'm a highlighter. Um, If you ever get a book after me, um, if I pass it on to you, you will find the pages highlighted like crazy. Um, It's just how I read. Most of my reading is done on my Kindle. And uh, so I'm sitting here reading this book and just swiping with my finger over and over. And I think the first two chapters, which is all I've gotten through so far, I think about 70% of the book is highlighted at this point. In those two, well, of those two chapters. But I don't have the time to be exhaustive in this. Um, I do want to draw out some thoughts that I read regarding the Trinity and in connection with creation. But if there was a homework assignment, not that there is, but if there was, it would be maybe grab a copy of that book and just read through it. Um, and then the test will be much later at a surprise time. Uh, but we are looking at the God who creates. God is not primarily creator or ruler. It's not his primary means of being known. Our introduction to him is in the act of creation. But even in that, we are seeing glimpses of who he really is, of what his nature really is. It is true he is ruler, 
And it is true, he is creator. But that's not primarily what he is. That's not the most foundational thing about him. This God whose nature is love is triune. Three persons, one being. And the story of scripture reveals this over the entire course of the story, over the entire course of the Bible. And what we see at the very foundational nature of God is that he is father and he is love. For creation, before the beginning in eternity, the father existed. He did not become a father. He was always the father. The father has always loved the son. The son has eternally existed. Before creation, he loved the son. It is through the son, Jesus Christ, that we see more of the father revealed. And if you want to know the father, know Jesus. John fourteen eight through 10 Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And just before these verses, in verse 6, I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus said, No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus reveals the Father to us because Jesus has known the Father and has been loved by the Father since before creation. In John 17, 24, Jesus is praying and he's speaking to God the Father. And he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And in that prayer, he's speaking of you and I. When he says that they also, whom you have given me, he's speaking of us. Before the foundation of the world, God's love was complete. Not in the sense that it was finished, but complete in the sense that it lacked nothing. He was and is whole. God did not create in order to find that piece of himself that was missing. God is love and that love flows outward. It radiates out but it lacks nothing. In eternity past, the Father loved the Son fully. Perhaps it's useful just for this moment uh, for us to think of the Father like a fountain. Um, In fact, Jeremiah actually speaks of God as a fountain of living waters. The Father is the fountain of love and life. A fountain is not a fountain if it does not pour forth water. If you have a fountain... And it doesn't work. It's a statue. It ceases to be a fountain. The father to be father must spring forth love and life. That is at his very nature or he is not father. But he is father. And so love didn't begin with creation. The father has poured forth love and life through all eternity. Love isn't one of his moods. Like it is so much with us. It's who he is. And as he is the source of love, what pours out is love. First John 4, 7 through 8, you thought we were done. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In these two verses, we see that love finds its source in God. Love is from God. 
The only way that we can know love and know how to love is when we are in relationship with God. Otherwise, what we have is a form, maybe, of love, but it's not the truest definition of love. The fact that he is father and has eternally existed as father speaks to the fact that the son has eternally existed. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or all things. I'm sorry. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see that... We see in this that Jesus is before all things, and that creation was through him, and it's for him. The word firstborn here doesn't mean that Jesus was created. It actually speaks of preeminence or priority jesus is preeminent he is the first not in created order he was not created but in preeminence that's a tough word sometimes i get tripped up on these double e's as the eternal son of god he created the universe and he is the ruler of creation hebrews 1:10, speaking of jesus and you Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. The author of Hebrews is tying some Old Testament passages to Jesus. Read through Hebrews 1. Read through the whole book of Hebrews. Maybe we should do a series on Hebrews. Jesus, God the Son, has eternally existed and has been eternally loved by the Father. And the Father has never been without the Son. In the work of creation, this love, like a fountain, overflowed. It continues to spread out and pour forth. Creation is the extension of the Father's love so that others would enjoy it as well. It is the overflowing of the fountain of love and life. Recall back several weeks back when I did the example of pouring water into cups. It inevitably overflows. Back to Genesis. one Chapter 1, verse 3. We're not going to read it, but just... Um, It's the first time that we see this phrase, God said. And like I mentioned, it it appears a total of ten times in that first chapter. What we're seeing here is the spoken word of creation. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 2 Peter 3, 5, For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. As an aside, not planned, um, if you're looking for creation in the New Testament, it, it does exist. It's not just the book of Genesis. It does, it does appear that the, the early church accepted the teaching of Genesis as scriptural and they embraced the teaching that god created the world created the universe by the word of his mouth so the father speaks creation to an into existence he speaks light and it is he speaks creation through the son 
I don't want to take too much from Mike's message. I mentioned to this. I mentioned him. I mentioned it to him, and he hit me. Um, <laughs> sorry, Mike. I had to tell. Um, but no, I, he's gonna he's gonna speak on John one in a few weeks here. Um, but I do want to reference it here, uh, connecting this idea of the word and the logos to Jesus. I want to connect these thoughts here. John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Jesus is the word made flesh that the Father sends forth. The Father speaks through the Son by the operation and power of the Holy Spirit, who we also see in Genesis 1. We see the Trinity. I'll share a quote with you. Michael Reeves, uh, this is from the book, um, Delighting in the Trinity, says it this way. In Genesis 1, the Spirit appears as the power by which God's word goes out into the lifeless void. In the very beginning, God creates by his word the word that would later become flesh, and he does so by sending out his word in the power of his spirit or breath. The word for spirit um, sometimes also means breath. We see in creation the spirit hovering over the face of the deep. We see in the baptism of Christ the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, hovering over Jesus. Holy Spirit carries out the work of creation. The Holy Spirit enables and empowers the word. But even in all this, he does a whole lot more. While the Son establishes and upholds all things, the Spirit perfects or completes the work of creation. But in all of this, really, the triune God is inseparable. And we've only begun to just scratch the surface It's so much more, and I've probably done a pitiful job of explaining it. As I prepared for this message, I realized how much there was to say. And I I feel it's a topic that probably, again, deserves its own series. Um, And you could spend your whole life studying God and getting to know him more, and still there would be more to know. And it will be that way through all eternity. There will be more to know and to see of this God who creates, this God who loves. But the triune God is inseparable. Three persons always working together in perfect harmony, yet one being. In many ways, the creation account is like a song being sung in perfect harmony. In many works of fiction, authors have used the imagery of song to speak of creation, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia pictures it as Aslan singing creation into existence. J.R.R. Tolkien describes the creation of the universe as a great musical event in the Silmarillion. And if you've read the Silmarillion, you get extra brownie points with me. These are just echoes of the harmonious nature of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In perfect harmony, carrying out the creation of all things. 
The nature of God is bountiful, full of life, and it overflows. Creation is about spreading that love outward. So the Father who loves the Son through the Spirit chooses to create many children, and he gives them life and personal being. So let's dig into that. Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the creation, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we come to the pinnacle of creation, mankind. In chapter 2 of Genesis, we see how woman was created from the rib of the man so that he would not be alone. And every guy in here knows when the wife goes away for the weekend, you might be looking forward to it, but you are miserable. Because it is not good for man to be alone. (laughs) On that note, please don't tell that to my wife. She thinks that I have a good time when she's gone. God creates man in his image. Mankind is made in the imago Dei, the image of God. We are his image bearers. We have life, which is sacred. We were created in his likeness to resemble him in character, speech, and relationships. Created to have fellowship with God and to worship him. The earth was given to man to subdue and to have dominion over it, to be fruitful and to multiply. Man was to be agents of God's rule extending over the whole world. Yet in chapter 3, sin enters the world. Man is corrupted and fails to fulfill his image-bearing responsibilities. And through Adam, all of his seed are corrupted by sin. And yet, we still bear God's image. And so, God, who is always extending forth love and life, sends into the world his Son, the light of life. It shines forth and it continues to extend Uh, God continues to extend love and life to redeem for himself a people. And so God recreates. And that's the second thing we're going to look at today. God recreates. Just as creation is the outgoingness of God, love and life overflowing, so too Jesus is the outgoing or the the radiance, as Hebrews says, of the Father. He is sent to this world to recreate those who, by faith, would believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. Another quote from Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves writes, In both the work of creation and the work of salvation or recreation, God's word goes out from him by his spirit. The Father speaks, and on his breath, his word is heard. It all reveals what this God is truly like. The Spirit is the one through whom the Father loves, blesses, and empowers his Son The Son goes out from the Father by the Spirit. Hence, Jesus is known as the Anointed One, the Messiah in Hebrew, the Christ in Greek. For he is the one supremely anointed with the Spirit. Jesus comes forth from the Father to recreate, to save. Our salvation in Christ is a transformational work, a work of new creation. What was destroyed by sin is made new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 4.24 And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10 and, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I think you read that one, Mike. Our new self, the new creation, is recreated in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We put on Christ's righteousness and his holiness. We are clothed in his righteousness and holiness. He has become righteousness for us. And we are being renewed and transformed. Where the first Adam failed in his image-bearing duties, Jesus did not fail. By being united in his death, burial, and resurrection, God sees us as his perfect children, clothed in righteousness, clothed in holiness, and we are being renewed to the image of God through faith in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, behold Christ. Look to him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And as I mentioned before, Hebrews describes Jesus as the radiance of God's glory. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When we behold Christ, we are beholding the one who has existed eternally. The eternal son who is the exact imprint of the father's nature. He is love and he is outgoing. And I don't mean outgoing as in he is an extrovert. I tend to be kind of one of those introverts who also sometimes dabbles in extrovertedness. I'm talking about the outgoingness of his love. It is pouring forth just like a fountain because he is a fountain of living waters. For the believer, he continues to issue forth love and life carried out through the Holy Spirit. As a light radiates or shines out, so it is that Jesus shines out. If a light ceases to shine out light, it is not a light. It's just something plugged into the ceiling. You know, every now and then some of these light bulbs burn out and we have to replace them. At that moment, what, what use does that light bulb have? It ceases to be that. In order for a light bulb to be useful, it shines light. God's nature just constantly shines out. And I don't mean to equate that to the light bulb in the sense that, you know, there could be ever any potential ability for God to cease to be useful. He is always the most useful thing. Every example, every picture fails to show the depth of who God is. But Jesus radiates. He shines out the glory of God. And just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the darkness of the deep, he is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who hovers over the deep darkness of our hearts. Those of us who were once dead in sin, he hovers over our hearts and creates life, turning us from dead, sinful people into beloved children when we believe. He brings the life of Christ. So, Christian, you have been recreated in Christ and you are united in him. Just as God's nature overflows, shooting out radiant beams of love and life, so also does his church. We go forward as image bearers once more on mission. 
multiplying and making manifest God's goodness in all the places we dwell. So fellow imagers, be fruitful and multiply. Overflow. Let the gospel of grace be what overflows from your heart. So drink deeply. Drink deeply of the goodness of God. Behold Christ. And as you behold the Son, the glory of Jesus radiates in you and through you by his Spirit. As the Father sent the Son out in love, so he sends us out to image the Son and to respond in love, to love him, to love one another. And when this is taking place, we will do exactly what Jesus tells his disciples to do in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, drink deeply of the fountain and overflow. And then we can very briefly... We're landing this. We can see what happens in the book of Acts. We can see what happens to the church when this type of thing takes place. When the church is beholding Christ and the love of God, the grace of God, the life of God is sending out. It's overflowing. Acts 6-7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 12:24 but the word of God increased and multiplied and Acts 19:20 so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily It's going to increase and it's going to multiply God is the God who creates and recreates He speaks into existence what did not exist and now he takes what was once dead and breathes life He is overflowing his radiant glory of life and love. And he is inviting us to live in that and to be filled with that. And so let's drink deeply. Let's pray. Father, according to the riches of your glory, grant your people to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit. Let this overflow from us to all we come in contact with, first with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would love one another and second with those who don't know you yet that we would shine forth your radiance and that people would be drawn to your son and it's in his name in the name of jesus we pray